we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, my name is Cassidy, for those of you I don't know, and um, we are going to talk about grief today, grief and loss. And um, uh, Psalm 119.68 says that God is good and he does good. And what we're going to explore is um, God's goodness in light of our suffering and what it means uh, to have a God who is always good even though we suffer on this side of heaven. So I'll go ahead and pray, and then we're going to introduce ourselves and tell you a little bit about our uh, journey with grief and loss, and then we'll go into more detail as we um, go through questions. And I'll add one more thing really quick. If you look in your, um, your pamphlet, uh, on the page for this breakout, there's a QR code at the bottom. <coughs> if you have any questions that you would like to ask that you haven't heard while we're up here talking, I'll be checking the form, and so you can submit anonymous questions while we're um, while we're talking. So I'll go ahead and pray for us. Dear Lord, we praise you that you are good, and that you are all knowing, and that you love us. We praise you for the opportunity to come together today to testify to your goodness through our trials. We pray that you would reveal your truth to those of us in the room today, that you would glorify yourself through our stories, and that you would um, give us the words that you wish us to share. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'll have uh, all three of you, if you would, uh, introduce yourselves and then just uh, tell the group about your you know, the overarching arc of your, your grief story. And then um, I know you have seen the questions before, so we'll go more into detail as we go. Well, I can start. I'm Courtney Osborne, um, and I'm sharing about a grief that's a little bit different than probably all of us sitting here. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about what it's like to grieve the loss of a family, family members, I guess, who are still actually living. Mm -hmm. So just re learning to relate um, to family members who can be really difficult and who have caused a lot of pain and suffering. Um, and so I think, you know, we grow up thinking about like the idea of the nuclear family. So a mom and a dad, and then they have kids, and then those kids have kids, and you just have this big family. And for most of us, none of our families are perfect, and there are always hard things, but you're gathering regularly for holidays, for birthdays, for things like that. And so I'm gonna speak a little bit more to what it's like to interact when you can't interact that way. Um, and you actually have to set parameters to guard yourself from those things. Um, and then a little part of my story too is also just walking through grief of a parent who actually had really largely <laughs> abdicated his role in my life. So what it's like to grieve the loss of somebody that you did not have a good relationship with, which looks a little bit different too. So that's kind of what I'll share more about. Great. My name is Kylie Wright, and so my
story um, is also uh, a little, yeah, I guess we're all here for different uh, themes of, of grief. Uh, my story is sort of, um, my, my journey of grief over the last couple years is uh, sort of two different parts. Uh, six months before I moved here in 2020, I was in a relationship with a man who I did not realize at the time was extremely emotionally manipulative, and uh, he essentially separated me relationally from my family. And they're all really wise believers, and it was uh, hard to admit or even acknowledge or understand that I had been separated by him. And um, it was, I didn't know what was like up from down. I didn't know what was true. I didn't know what to do. And I, I knew that I was the one who had to make a decision. And in the middle of that, um, after my family sat me down and had a really hard conversation, <coughs> I moved here. And I sat in the car alone for four days and just drove myself to Arkansas for grad school and um, joined the church and got counseling and the Lord helped me uh, discern what was true. And so I ended my relationship and spent some time healing and spent several months just really enjoying singleness, I think truthfully for the very first time, like at an atomic level. Um, and then I, uh, the second part was that several months later I reconnected with someone I grew up with and felt like I discovered, I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is what, this is what, you know, this is, this is the kind of man who's pleasing to you. <coughs> and, um, I reconnected with a guy I grew up with and, um, he was just godly and wise and wonderful and just so well suited to me and to my family. Um. And uh, the day before he was going to um, ask me to be his girlfriend and sort of formalize the pursuit that had begun, he, he died in a, a plane crash. So, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what I would title my sort of relational grief, I guess. Um, grieving what could have been. Um, obviously not what would have been, but what could have been. And then um, some relational separation as well. So, uh, ladies, if you would... Uh, talk about how you handled your grief at the time and then how you've grown in your ability to grieve since then. Yeah, I think it's looked different in different seasons. Mm -hmm. So as a younger child and even a teenager, I wasn't a believer, so everything looked really different. And so I think it was very easy for me um, to just be consumed and controlled by the manipulation of my parents. So um, 
they got divorced when I was really young, and both of them struggled pretty significantly with alcoholism and other addictions. Um, so with my mom, the manipulation was a lot more verbal, um, things she would say and do, comments she would make. And then with my dad, there was just a lot of horrific abuse going on. So I would teeter between their two homes, um, which was really confusing as a child. And so um, I think at that point, I just presumed that the Lord was largely the same way. And so he was just waiting for me to mess up um, mm -hmm. so that he could, yeah, be angry or manipulative the same way that they, that they were. Um, and so then when I did come to faith, things became challenging because at that point I desperately wanted my mom and dad to know the Lord. I wanted them to have the same hope that I had because I just assumed by that point, you know, they didn't have great parents, so they just never learned how to do this. And there were a lot of other areas in their lives that, like, as a kid, I just didn't recognize it wasn't okay to begin with. Um, but I was very consumed with uh, just honoring my mom and my dad because I saw that in scripture, and there was really no one in my life, like, teaching me, like, there's a difference here. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I just kind of bowed to the abuse. I bowed <coughs> to the manipulation um, because I desperately wanted them to know the Lord. And so then when I moved to Arkansas and became involved here actually in a healthy local church and was starting to be invested by families and women who were actually healthy and you begin to see that contrast and you're like wait hold on so then there's this whole layer of like okay I actually have to set boundaries and parameters with my family mm -hmm. um, and the more really the the more that I came to understand who Christ was and what he had done um, the more offensive that became particularly to my parents um, and so it was, you know, just little things and big things. So at one point we went um, overseas with UBC to visit a partner in a part of the world that wasn't very safe. Um, and my mom had called the night before we left and was like, Courtney, if you go on this trip, your grandpa's going to die. And there was nothing wrong with my grandpa. This was just a little example of her manipulation. Um, and we landed and sure enough, like got a call from one of the elders that my grandpa had passed away. And so for years, I mean, that was a decade ago, and that's still something that she blames me for and, like, will always talk about. So that's just, like, one little strain of what it looks like, but I think there's a lot of just faithfully walking with the Lord that makes that really hard but has had to cause me um, to just make a decision by with a lot of help and a lot of grace from the Lord of who's bigger, like, who has the final say. Is it my mom or my dad and the, you know, the harm that they've caused and the and the voice that they have in my life, or is it finally the Lord and Christ who has the final say? So who's bigger at the end of the story? And I think learning that, not easily either, like sitting in it a lot of the time, um, but recognizing that Christ does have the final say is one of the things that has fueled just aiding that grieving process and how that has looked different in seasons. For me, at the time, um, <coughs> it was very devastating. God's grace, um, you learn to, um, well, there's a building the cracks of the loss, um, but also, you know, rebuilding your life around those reasons, 
learning curve because hearing it, it doesn't go away. It mm-hmm. never leaves. It doesn't ever get smaller, but you just grow as you listen or learn or by, you know. But I think it's a complete, um, I think it's just a complete rebuilding of my life in many mm-hmm. aspects.
here in the middle of my turmoil uh, with my my ex and um, I had lived in DC after I graduated from college and I moved back to California to be with my family for six months before coming here so I didn't have my church community with me and I had my family which was wonderful Um, but I think uh, a way that I didn't handle grief well was I I, I sort of tended to kind of autopilot like um, I wasn't necessarily isolated because I was with my family, but that was becoming complicated, and so I would just go to work, and I'd come home, and I'd go to sleep, and I'd wake up and go to work and come home and go to sleep, and I would even go to sleep early so that I didn't have to just, like, be awake longer. And um, I, um, I mean, that wasn't good, but that was one way that I grieved that I wouldn't would not recommend. Um, but 
I remembered at the time, I, I just would tell my, like, respond, like, preach the gospel to myself. You know, we know that God draws near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit and that he promises that he will be with us. And I just remember, like, really crying out to God for the first time in my life in, in the most basic way. Like, everything felt like it was stripped because I'm such a relational person. And my family um, has been such a gift and such a light of Christ. Um, having feeling like there might be irreconcilable um, breakage there or damage relationally, I just didn't know what, like, I didn't see how life would be, wor- like, nice to live if it wouldn't be healed, um, or I just didn't see a way forward. And so um, I just remembered telling God, I know you are with me. I know you are these things. And um, I had heard a sermon at Capitol Hill Baptist in September of 2019, and I remember when I heard it, I thought, that's nice, and I don't feel like that's applicable right now, but (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm sure it's helpful for everybody else. Um, and I have listened to it so many times now. It's called The Grace of Lament, and it's based on a book by Mark Brokop called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies, which I would recommend. And he actually gave the sermon. And um, the point was, you know, if you stop at complaining about your situation, it's not good for you. It's, a, it's good to cry out, but if you stop there, then the process of lamentation in a sanctifying way isn't completed. We must go to God and cry out and tell him everything that we you know, all of our grief and all of our questions and, um, you know, even if you're, you're angry at God or whatever emotion you're having, but then you finish your prayer with, but God, I know these things to be true about you. And so that was the first time where I felt like that was all I had. Um, and as I came here to the church and got counseling and was supported by the community and then my family, um, God restored my relationships with them, um, there's something really special knowing that your family will ruin their relationships with you potentially forever just to like get you back, you know, or get you out of a bad situation. But after God had sort of just redeemed and delivered me through all of that, I felt like I knew on an atomic level that God was faithful to redeem and to deliver and to heal because he had just brought me through a season where I felt like I was tired of living just because I didn't see a way forward. Um, And actually the night before James died, uh, the guy who was pursuing me uh, that next year, um, I, the last thing I said to him was, he asked me why I wore this little white ring that I have on, and I told him because I had finally learned that um, I was, um, God just dethroned the idol of marriage and taught me that, you know, I am the bride of, part of the bride of Christ before the bride of any man, and I felt like he really satisfied me. And that I knew that God was faithful to deliver and faithful to heal and faithful to redeem. And um, when I found out that he died, he actually had texted me even a few minutes before he died. It was in a plane crash. Um, I remember thinking to myself, I, the last thing I told him was all of this, these truths about God. And I have to decide, like, okay, if I believe what I said, then he'll, we'll just do this again. And so um, I was grateful to know that I, I'm grateful to just meet God in a place where I felt like I had nothing else and um, grateful that I could testify to that. And then when it happened, a grief happened again, because there's usually more than one in life, um, I was really comforted to know that I was like, okay, I'm, we can do this again. He's done it before. <coughs> so um, if you would um, tell us about how um, you experienced
experienced grief not just emotionally but maybe physically um cognitively or socially and um yeah how your grief maybe influence other areas of life than just your emotions yeah I think for me there's been all different like parts of that equation um one of the like difficult ones that I didn't expect is actually like financially which is very particular Mm. um but one of the ways that um one family member has seen fit to continue on and just trying to have control is making a decision to say well I raised you all of your life and so if you're not going to respect me or abide by these parameters I'm putting then you can pay me back everything that I paid to raise you and so that was about four years ago and that was kind of the downward spiral of my relationship with my mom and it's required a whole lot of um yeah just counsel and wisdom and asking the Lord for help but in the midst of this season we really haven't talked maybe just a little bit here and there like once a year maybe and it typically doesn't go well um but she in her context she would make it sound as though you know I'm this terrible daughter and I'm crazy like I'm in this crazy cult of Christianity um yeah just the idea of like I haven't accomplished anything with my life so I was on staff in ministry for a long time and that was very embarrassing for her so she would make up other stories about what I did to tell her friends um yeah, even being in my mid-30s and still being single and having not had children, like, that's an embarrassment for her. So I think there's a lot of that, the the weight of that, um, just socially, that comes into play. And then practically, financially, I mean, it is very burdensome to have to decide what's the balance of honoring her and paying back maybe something that I do owe her for versus, like, just saying yes to whatever she's requiring, which is absolutely insane. Um, and she had just mailed this piece of paper um, listing out all these costs from all the years of raising me. Um, And so that's never something that you anticipate from somebody that cares for you and has played, you know, a different role in your life in another season. Um, And so I think that is a piece of grief that I just really wasn't prepared for. Um, And then I think most of my close friends haven't experienced something like that. And so just being able to sit in that a little bit and and walk through that with other sisters um has it's not easy it's hard sometimes because you're like I'm really embarrassed to even say that this is this like this is the grief that I'm facing or this is the reality because it sounds so insane but it's really hard like in a lot of ways on a day-to-day basis and then I think separate from that in the just grieving my dad he actually passed away like seven years ago Um, And that process has been really hard, but I think there are just ramifications of things that had happened and decisions he had made and just the horror of what it was like to grow up with him that have significantly affected particularly sleep for me. Um, So I shared a little bit last year, actually, in my testimony. Um, But yeah, I walked through like almost two and a half years of really not sleeping um, and just a lot of recalling really hard things that had happened. Um, And so I think grief can come out in different ways like that, too. And that's very debilitating. It can feel really lonely. Um, and it's, there's just a lot, of, a lot of opinions about, well, have you tried this? Can you do this? And you're like, yeah, but it's more than that. Yeah. But also recognizing what the Lord is doing with that and a dependence that in the dark of the night, I mean, he's the only one there. Um, and so through that, I'm thankful now, maybe not at the time as much. But yeah, I think grief can manifest in so many different ways. Grief, right, is a real thing. 
so I'd say you have a hundred tickets to your very own ninety nine cent Lamborghini mm-hmm. side street. Mm-hmm. Um so all your energy is going towards trying to make this mob acceptable, trying to make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Um and it's and it's just not going to. It's not gonna make sense, it's not gonna become mm-hmm. acceptable and so it's just this ongoing thing. Um and so you don't have anything mm-hmm. left. It's it's kind of like multitasking almost. Mm-hmm. And so even short term memory loss I think is, you know, something I've experienced. Um and and physically I would say it's just exhaustion. I don't I've also heard that I heard someone say that it's like running a full marathon every day mm-hmm. in the early years, you know, and just takes it everything out of you. Um socially Thank you. 
just recently, one of my friends had um, she had to do two because the, the account was weird. And I said, well, maybe you want to go to one card show because it's a lower profit show. And I was part of the profit group, so it's kind of obvious that if you're <laughs> doing a little later, I'll be there. Two things came to my mind. Uh, one of the reasons why I didn't realize that I had been manipulated to the degree that I had um, was that I suppressed my memories without, like I unconsciously suppressed my memories. And so counseling with John was exciting because I discovered something new every day. And um, <laughs> these memories would come to mind and they were like proof of, like data points kind of proving how bad it was and I had just minimized everything. And so part of the shock of sort of coming out of it was having to actually acknowledge and understand and relive to remember all of the things that had happened. And um, I was, um, I guess it was sort of validating because it really showed that what everyone had been saying was true, but it was also jarring to sort of remember everything. Um, and then after the breakup, I lost 20 pounds. Um, while eating and doing all the normal things, but just because I think my body reacted physically to what I had gone through. And that was validating for me because I have had so many people close to me have so many, go through so many trials that I perceived as like so much more grievous than mine. I just didn't really, I didn't acknowledge that mine was actually as bad as it was. And then I was, I weighed the same that I did when I was 14 at this height. And so that was, I was like, okay, something bad happened and all of me is acknowledging that um, so um, part of the healing process was also just sort of regaining my health which um, the Lord has restored and I'm grateful for that um, if you
you would um, share what the Lord has taught you through your grief um, and how you experience the Lord's nearness. And if you have any scripture that helps you do that, you can share that as well. Yeah, I think where I'm sitting now, this probably was not, well, I know this was not always the case, but I think I can just confidently say that I will never regret having to identify with Christ in through the means of grace. Um, even as miserable as some of the seasons over these 32 years have been, um, I think there is a dependence upon Christ, a reliance upon him, even like similar to what you're saying of just like, what's it like to be alone and walk through a lot of this and to feel, you know, abandoned by an actual like biological family, um, but then also not have an immediate family of my own yet when most of my peers do. Um, and that that in itself is not something to grieve. I'm very like thankful for the season that the Lord has me in, um, even with those challenges, but it's just a very unique thing to walk into the house every day and you're like I have a dog so I'm like I'll talk to him and Lord um but yeah I mean in the dark of the night to know like there's no one down the hallway to go to like it's me and the Lord um and so and I think that's where the word has to come to bear um so I think over the last several years one of the truths that I've held out probably the most significantly is just seeing him as Lord of Lords King of Kings like the sovereign father who will bring justice at the end paired with the Isaiah 53 like he was despised and rejected which is how I feel a lot of the time and yet he was willingly pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities it was his chastisement that gives me peace mm. um, and so Christ actually desires to enter into my ugliest spots so when I'm really upset or when I'm believing 10,000 lies all day long um, I think my tendency before this season would be like hey, like, let me get it together and I'll come to you then. Mm-hmm. Um, but to just recognize, like, no, he longs to enter into a, into that grief with us, like, in our darkest, ugliest moments. And there's actually no other place he would rather be. And so I think that just that picture of that sympathetic Savior has given me a lot more confidence to be able to come boldly to him um, in those times of need. And even when, you know, I open up my phone and there's a text message from my mom that's hurtful, or is a really long sleepless night um, or whatever that looks like or even simple things of you know I think you can think through like holidays and like this Christmas one of my um, a friend from Bible study had given me a gift and I'd opened it but then that morning I realized I didn't have anything to open which is not a big deal at all but I just rewrapped that and opened it and that was like a very kind thing of the Lord to just be like sweetheart like I provided this for you um, in this moment And so I think it's that shift of, like, he really is here, and he really is with me, and he Mm -hmm. desires to be that friend um, that's closer than a brother. But at the end of the day, he's the one that rules and reigns, too. Mm -hmm. And that's the hope that we have, and that this isn't forever. It's Mm -hmm. short. I can attest that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I mean, that's when I look up closest to him. Um, I I think he showed me... um, before him how to honestly because we grieve honestly before him that that the more I did that the closer to him I felt um that I that it almost um like crucial mm-hmm. to to um not have to act like you know like that I was okay or you know that I could I could tell him you know how I felt honestly and 
you know, and at the end she does say, but I tried to see you earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a verse in Job, I think it's like verse thirty two five, where it says something like, um, I heard about you in the ways, but now my eyes have seen you. Mm-hmm. And um I think that that part that, you know, in the midst of my suffering, um there's another one that goes where it says, um, in my deepest pain I'll tell your glory and it astounded me. Mm-hmm. And so I I feel like I wouldn't have been able to to feel his nearness or experience his joy in any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, had it not been through my suffering. Um and you know, I think he showed me that so Abigail had a, a kidney disease that inflamed she inherited from both So mm-hmm. there's all these things about the kids have so many biological children that have horrible, terrible disease. And so that was sort of a public death. Um, and so it was like, you know, dear God, um, about a lot of situations. And I didn't get Joel's sister. I didn't get her healing. But I think he showed me that really he was the person through all of his struggles. Um, and, and showing me that really he is enough. Um, even though I didn't no other answer would really suffice, you know, besides mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. So, um, just, yeah, feeling comforted in that way. Um, and then, like Joe mentioned, through trees, it talks a lot about, you know, my soul is going past, and mm-hmm. I'm bereft of peace, and I can even, I have no hope left, but then sometimes, you know, the good life falls away, mm-hmm. and the Lord feels his nearness and his nearness. His faithfulness, you know, that's something that um, I learned through hardships, through a lot of hardships. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that about how our story is related to Jesus. When we can be honest, we can open up to who we are. Mm-hmm. And so what people are to say or to picture about who he is or what that feeling is like. forget about the fact that, that he really cares. And so that's one of the, the things I want you to know is that he's constantly, always there. Um, his spirit lives in us. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's another one of the things that we do when we suffer. So that when we, when we really get to see the things that we really don't think about, the fact that God's living in you, his mm-hmm. spirit is there. Um, it just
vision and of knowledge, mm-hmm. and you don't know how good or bad it is mm-hmm. until you're in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, the scripture says that that's what it comes down to. And so mm-hmm. I, I love that image of Psalm 91, 19 through 21. Um, if you are weary of all your commands, um, in verses 9, 1, or 1, 9, 10, 1, 16, 9 through 1, 17, um, and I didn't write all those down, but I want you to read the devotional. And so um, that just really, you know, Actually, he went to a lake near Lake Tahoe, actually, in Truckee. It doesn't really matter. but um, And he uh, went to the Lord and prayed that if there was anything left on the table that he hadn't repented of before God, that the Lord would cleanse him and draw him nearer because he wanted to pursue the Lord first and well before he pursued me. He was preparing himself to sort of formally have a a discussion with me about the future. And... um, it was interesting because on his last morning when he went to spend time with Jesus, instead of preparing himself to pursue me, he was preparing himself to meet the Lord. And I thought that was so sweet. And it was an honor to be tucked into his heart. And even just, I mean, we went on dates for like a couple weeks, so it wasn't like losing a spouse or or a baby or anything. But, um, I, I felt honored that I had met him, re-met him, and, and that I was sort of tucked away in his heart when he went to glory. But I just remember thinking, I want to spend time with the Lord every day so that if I go to heaven, I, I met him that morning. Mm-hmm. And I I had just laid everything out and prayed that the Lord would sanctify me of, and or cleanse me of everything mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And James was that person. He was like that, mm-hmm. and his faith was like that. And so I want to emulate him, not just to honor him, but because it's glorifying to God, and that's what he would want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm grateful that I might have been maybe the reason he prayed that morning, but that he was just completely like laid bare before the Lord that day, mm-hmm. and that that's what he prayed when um, when he went to Jesus. But also, 
through his life and, and through his death, I got to see what it looks like to leave behind, um, you know, what it means to leave behind a legacy as a Christian. And um, I was asked to teach recently through First Thessalonians on the Thessalonian legacy that Paul left, that he talked about. And it was sweet to prepare because I just remembered James and, and thinking about how his life in, like, in death did as much as it did in life. His faith and walk with the Lord testified to God's goodness because I remember grieving him and thinking that James wouldn't come back if he could, that he was in glory, and, um, you know, that he had drawn near to the Lord, and I wanted to do so similarly, but it's really easy to talk about him. You know, people go through hard times all the time, and so when you're you're relating to them, I feel like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, how has it been going through that season of singleness, and how did the Lord, you seem satisfied, you know, like, how did the Lord satisfy you? I'm like, well, or how were you satisfied, or how were you well, or how did you get through that, or whatever, and if they're not believers, or even if they are, I mean, it's easy to talk about the guy who died and the God who he believed in. It's easy to bring up the gospel, and every time I think of him, I have to think of God because of who he was, and so um, something I also just learned about Jesus or wanted for myself in that experience was um, that nearness that we talk about. Like, I want to walk near with him daily and draw near to him myself and respond to him um, so that when I go to glory one day um, at my service and in any time I come to someone's mind thereafter or someone talks about me, that talking about my life or my death brings to mind the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. And if anything, if like, if that is the only thing, then I feel like I have lived well. Um, and I think that he lived well, and, um, uh, sorry, this feels long. The last thing (laughs) that, uh, came to mind was, um, I remember grieving, like, the future that I could have had, because I felt like it would have been an honor to be his wife, or even just pursued by him, and I was really skittish about dating, for obvious reasons, so I wasn't even really sure, like, about the future, um, knowing that he was about to kind of formalize his pursuit um, before he passed. Um, But I just knew that if he pursued me, it would be an honor. The fact that he wanted to pursue me was an honor because of the kind of man he was. And when he died, I just remember thinking how sweet it would have been to have been his girlfriend or maybe one day his wife. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a grief of like what could have been. And then I just realized that it wasn't God's will. And if it wasn't God's will, then I don't want it Mm -hmm. because God's will is good. And um, that's everything. So I'm going to summarize our last couple of questions and the one we got on the Google form. Um, We have about three minutes. Uh, So um, we've talked a lot about the community that we've had, that we found through the church specifically. Um, What is some advice that you would give on how to build that group? It doesn't, I mean, we have it in the church, but just how to build that community support system generally um how has the church supported you what advice would you give in supporting others who have gone through grief in the church um any part of that question that speaks to you go ahead sure yeah i think you know at the end of the day we will all eventually lose everything so for some of us it happens sooner than it does for others in different ways um but i think like just high level looking at that and being like okay we can actually enter into suffering like grief with one another 
Um, and so I think the means by which we do that, we would all probably have very particular ways that we can say, do this or don't do this. Or, But I think when I look at the circle of people around me who have walked for decades at this point from UDC with me through this and how different that's looked in seasons, um, I think the thing that has remained constant and the thing that's the crux of it all is what you were saying, Diana, is like, if your word had not been my delight, I truly would have perished in my affliction. And so I need brothers and sisters to be around me to remind me of that and to uphold the truth of God's word, regardless of what else um, is happening. And then I think in my particular grief, um, just sitting a spot at the table. Mm -hmm. So the friends that have entered into my world where they can recognize, okay, this is a hard week or this is a hard season or she really needs this. And it's not like, let me just set aside like this dream Christmas that I had for my nuclear family just this one time. But it's like, no, like this spot actually has your name on it. And there is a family that has done that mm -hmm. for me. And there's a spot at their table for me anytime. And I don't feel guilt or shame about that. And I'm so thankful. So I think in, in an encouragement for that as you, you know, are all walking through different levels, layers of grief or walking with others through grief. Um, is to just be a really good question asker. And if you're not familiar with what they're going through, to just be able to say, hey, what are you going through? And then how can we help? And not just like this one-time thing, but what does it look like to actually walk through life together as you're grieving? Because I think we've all agreed that this isn't like just a short thing. It'll be all the way to glory. Yeah. Um, but thankfully that's where it's headed. So we need one another to, to remind one another of that.
I would say like to build that community is in those seasons where you maybe don't feel like you're in in the valley is to be faithful in drawing into your community um mutually and in investing in people and identifying in those people who pursue you and, and pursue them back um i didn't have community when i came here but the lord was kind and giving me people who really pulled me in and, and then we just maintained those relationships so that like you know um when, when James passed, I found out when I landed at the airport and Bear Sullivan was picking me up from the airport. And I sat in the car with Bear on the way home from Tulsa for two hours just bawling while he sat there and, like, you know, <laughs> like. Um, but then, you know, Anna Nunn, came, who was my friend who had walked with me and we drew together, she came over and she did all of my laundry. She held me. She put all my stuff back in my suitcase and drove me back to the airport the next day so I could fly back home for the service. And so just having relationships like that, praying and asking God for them, but also pursuing people so you can be that for them and that so you have people like that, not transactionally so that, like, you won't be alone when you go through trial, but we all will go through trials. And so um, having built up that community already, I think, is really helpful. And also just asking God for that, for favor in that way. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's the most the sweetest way and then also for for people who might feel um like you don't know what to do do when you're talking to someone who's grief stricken especially if you have no clue what that's like um like i actually remember the first time diana and i ever talked she told me that she was a widow she told me about walt and i just said you know can you tell me about him what was he like and you're giving people the opportunity to tell you about their person like i'm sure that it would be nice to hear about abigail if you had one day but you had nine months and like the ability to like just giving that person the ability to tell you about Abigail and then she knows that I know about Abigail and that you know like being the person who they can bring who they can talk about Walt or Abigail to or, or even loved ones like maybe it's not really fun to talk about your lost family members but there are wonder like I'm sure that there are things that you appreciate about them or that you enjoyed or sweet memories and so um, if you don't know what to say, you can just ask them to tell you about that person, and that's all. I'm a problem solver, so sometimes I want to be like, okay, how can we help you? And it's like, no, just, you know, just ask them to talk and to share and remember, remember them. Um, yeah, like, I think that we were all surrounded by people in the really, really, really hard times, but then, like, a year later, you're the only one who remembers. Mm -hmm. And so maybe just also putting in your calendars those, like, dates of grief mm -hmm. to circle back with those people. Um I'm sure that James's mom, who I don't know very well, um, thinks that it's funny that every like four or five months, I'm like, hello, still thinking of you and praying for you and remembering James, like he pops up in my mind. Like I texted her yesterday and I 
I just want her to know that he's probably not going to other people's minds mm-hmm. um, because I'm sure he would care as well. So yeah, we'll go ahead and close this all in prayer. Thank you so much for sharing, Andy. Dear Lord, we thank you for sending your son who lived a very, very difficult life here. We praise you that Christ knows our sorrows and our pain and our grief and that he is our friend and that he draws near and that he um, was crucified and rose so that we could be given the Holy Spirit, your comforter. I pray that the Lord, um, that the Holy Spirit would um, really make all of the grieving hearts feel comforted by you and that they would feel your nearness and that you would surround people by those who would uh, convey your love to them in the hard seasons. And I pray that uh, when we emerge from our valleys, that we would be faithful to testify to your goodness that prevails um, in the valleys and on the mountaintops, God. We praise you for this weekend and the opportunity to have wonderful conversations with other women in the church and to build up that community that you use as your hands and your feet. In your name we pray. Amen.